Thank you, Greg, and good morning, my beloved friends. We are looking at the subject of worship, and last time we offered a definition of worship based on two biblical texts, John 4.23, in which Jesus says, True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. These are the only kind of worshipers who offers genuine, acceptable worship to God. In our second text, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul states that only Christians qualify for this experience. This is what he says, quote, For it is we who are the circumcision, as I mentioned now in context. That's Paul's term for believers who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so he says, For it is we who are of the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. End of quote. Notice, Christians are defined as those who worship the Spirit of God. Notice, let me, notice now, let me repeat that. Christians are defined as those who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, putting these texts together with the biblical concept of confession we propose the following as a biblical definition of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Quote, to worship in spirit and in truth means to give honor or worth to God with a pure heart, cleansed by the blood of Christ through confession and through the enablement of the Holy Spirit apart from fleshly motivation or influence. We considered the first phrase of this definition, to give honor or worth to God, in our previous message. Let's continue now then with the second phrase in our definition, which says, with a pure heart cleansed by the blood of Christ through confession. David explains both the necessity for and means of having a clean heart when we approach God in worship in Psalm 15. He begins with a question, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? That is, Lord, who is eligible and qualified to come into God's presence and worship. Who is an acceptable worship, worshiper? The answer is given in verses 2 through 5. He says, quote, It is he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow men, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. End of quote. In other words, he says, those who do these things will never fear entering the presence of God. He or she will be an acceptable worshiper to and of God. Jesus teaches the same truth in Matthew 5, beginning at verse 23, where he says, quote, If you are offering your gift at, at the altar, and there at the altar, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And of course, the Apostle John assures us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and will cleanse or purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, my friends, any and all worship offered to God without self-examination and confession of sin is unacceptable to God. 
God will not receive or accept any worship, no matter how elaborate, sincere, or undignified, if it is offered by a worshiper with unclean hands or impure heart, meaning one who harbors unconfessed and therefore unforgiven sin in his or her life. The Apostle Paul, speaking on the basis of direct revelation from Christ himself, teaches the same truth in 1 Corinthians concerning participation in the Lord's Supper. Listen to his words, beginning at verse 27 of, chapter, of this chapter. Quote, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. End of quote. My friend, the Bible is clear. God does not receive or accept the worship of anyone unless that person first asks for cleansing from personal sins. This is why I believe it is essential that provision is made for such to take place in our corporate worship. Opportunity for personal confession must be a part of our corporate worship experience. Without it, and taking into consideration those who might take the initiative to undergo this cleansing prior to or during the service itself, most, if not all, of what we do in such services will not be acceptable to God. The first two elements in our definition of worship that is acceptable to God then teaches two basic principles. First, worship must focus on God alone, not ourselves. It must be to please Him, not us. Second, worship must be prefaced by confession of sin. God will not receive worship from hearts and lips that have not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ through confession of sin. But now let us consider the third element in our definition of acceptable worship. And it says, we must worship through the enablement of the Holy Spirit apart from fleshly motivation or influence. Now this, of course, is what Paul alludes to in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, when he says that Christians are those who worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. This Spirit-enabled worship, free of all selfish, carnal, and fleshly motivation, is what separates the genuine worshiper from the non-genuine, the hypocritical worshiper. And if it is one thing we as believers need to be freed from in order to worship in spirit and in truth, it's from our attachment to, dependence upon, and influence of the things of the world, the flesh and the devil. My friends, I suggest to you that it is impossible for one to do an honest, objective, and unbiased evaluation of most of what we call worship services today and not conclude that much of these services are dominated by the desire to entertain rather than examine, to receive rather than to give, to please self rather than to please God. This truth is nowhere more vividly illustrated, I believe, than in the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt under the mighty hand of God. Do you recall the reason God gave to Moses, or the reason God gave to Moses, that he was in turn to give to Pharaoh as to why he should let his people go? The answer is very clear. It was that they might worship him. 
That was the reason for the release and redemption of Israel from Egypt, that they might worship the true and living God. But Pharaoh adamantly refused to let them go. He hindered their worship of God as he desired. Now, spiritually speaking, by way of application, Egypt is always seen as a picture of the world. And Pharaoh, the rule of Egypt, is seen as the God of this world. And so we could say that the world and the devil were preventing God's people from worshipping him in spirit and in truth. Notice exactly how this was done. Exodus chapter 7, reading from verse 14, quote, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile and meet him, and take in your hand a staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. End of quote. Pharaoh has already refused God's request once to let his people go. But again he refuses. So the first plague is inflicted upon Egypt. The river Nile turns into blood. But Pharaoh still refuses to let the people go. So God inflicts the land with the third plague, not or lice. Pharaoh still refuses to the fourth. And so a fourth plague is imposed. And now flies. And now Pharaoh begins to bend a little. And this is what he says in Exodus 7 verse 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. This is the first way Satan seeks to contaminate our worship, by trying to influence us to worship God according to the customs and dictates of the world, not in spirit and in truth. Go, he says, sacrifice to your God in this country, meaning worship God in a worldly fashion, according to the flesh, not in spirit and in truth, and through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. In a word, Pharaoh was saying by way of application, worship in a way that entertains the worshiper, not in a way that honors or give worth to God. But Moses would have none of this. Verse 26 says, But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, as he commands us. End of quote. Moses is adamant. And so he says to Pharaoh, If we offer worship to our God in the way you have suggested, it would not even be acceptable by it will not be acceptable even by your own pagan people. Even they would despise us. No, we must worship the way God has commanded. Would to God we were as bold and as courageous as Moses in our churches today. Moses refused to borrow or be influenced by anything from the world in his worship of the true and living God. He knew that in time, even the unbeliever would realize that such worship is hypocritical and without any lasting spiritual value. How many of us really understand this principle today? How many of our worship services are dictated by what is acceptable or pleasing to the seeking sinner rather than what is acceptable and pleasing to the seeking God? The God who is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth, apart from worldly or fleshly influence and through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. I challenge anyone listening to my voice, do an honest, objective, and biblical evaluation of your corporate service or services and answer these two questions. First, which influence is evidenced most in our behavior and content? 
especially with reference to music, that of Hollywood or that of the Bible. Now, let me repeat this. I really want you, as a believer, to say that you worship in spirit and truth, evaluate your services, and ask yourself this question, this, this first one. Which influence is evidenced most in our behavior and the content of what we do, especially with reference to music and the way we behave? Are they more in conformity with the Hollywood style or that of biblical commands? Secondly, who are we seeking to please by what you do and how you do it? God or self? Now that's an important one. Evaluate it. Who are you seeking to please? God or yourself? Or if you are involved in planning the services or those who come to the service? Two questions. I challenge you. I encourage you. I exhort you to examine your worship, your corporate worship, on the basis of these two questions and see how you fare. Let me ask the questions again. What influences evidence most in your behavior and the content of what you do in the worship service, especially with reference to music and how you behave? Does it demonstrate more of Hollywood style or what the Bible teaches? Secondly, who are you seeking to please? And by what, by what we do and how we do it. Is it God or is it self? I really believe that the answers will shock you. Moses, though, refused to bend to the dictates or influence of the world or the devil when it came to worshiping God. I ask you, should we, do, should we not do the same today? As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things.